OCO. And thank you for listening to this episode of Beautiful Gray Sponge. They did not cause me to begin, and they shall not cause me to stop. These are the words of Sequoia, a Native American sage of the Cherokee Nation, best known for inventing a writing system, something that hadn't been accomplished prior for more than 2,000 years. In this way, he joined the ranks of the ancient Sumerians, Greeks, Egyptians, and Mayans, who'd also created writing systems, but he did his single-handedly within his own lifetime. There's a lot of uncertainty regarding his life and death. Even in my research, I encountered plenty of conflicting accounts from a multitude of sources. And where information is speculative, contradictory, or fabricated, I'll acknowledge as we go. As a librarian by degree, I take my research seriously. So let's start off with one right away. His birth. I could just as easily generalize that he was born in the late 1700s and leave it at that. But to be more specific, some accounts say 1760, whereas others mention circa 1776 or circa 1778. So that's nearly a 20-year gap. Yeah. That's, I think, a significant discrepancy. By the way, did you know circa stands for approximately? I always thought it meant in the time of. Anyway, while we'll refer to him as Sequoia, his English name was George Gist. I think I'm saying that correctly. Or Guess. This practice of having two names was very common at the time for many natives. He was born near where what we now know today as Tuskegee, Tennessee, to a white father and Cherokee mother. But even that's speculative, because what we might know about his father is also debatable. For that reason, I won't embellish too much, except that most accounts refer to his father as Nathaniel Gist, or Guess, as a white trader, hunter, soldier, and explorer. One account even mentioned his father was held as a prisoner of war by the Cherokee for six years, and that he'd gone back to Virginia, never to return again. And yet, another source, the Cherokee Phoenix, a native publication I'll be sure to mention again in a bit, reported in an 1828 issue, while Sequoia was still alive, that his father was a half-blood, but that his grandfather was a white man. So, who really knows? His mother, Wutehi, was of the Paint Clan, a tribal clan's a group of relatives who trace their kinship through the maternal line. As a young boy, Sequoia was raised by his uncles, which would have been done by his mother's brothers anyway under the Cherokee clan system. He had no siblings and never went to school. Growing up during the American Revolution against the British, he was beyond school age when the first mission schools were established among the Cherokee. So he never learned to speak, read, or write the English language. He and Wutehi spoke only Cherokee. So growing up, he helped with the herd animals and crops while his mother ran a trading post. And despite his lack of schooling, Sequoia appeared to be a genius. For example, I read that he often engineered his own tools for various projects and chores. And after his mother's death, he took over the trading post. His store became an informal meeting place for Cherokee men to socialize and, well, apparently, drink whiskey. For a while, he began to drink a lot, but fortunately, he soon quit drinking and even selling alcohol at the trading post. Then, around 1809, 
due to continual pressure by European-American settlers, he moved from the Tennessee area to Alabama. Here he learned to silversmith for a trade and was taught how to spell his name in English so that he could at least sign his silversmith work. This very well may have actually planted the seed of his greatest achievement, that writing system he would create. He was intrigued by the white man's ability to communicate with one another by making distinctive marks on paper, what some native people referred to as talking leaves. That's a beautiful phrase to me. But this was also met with suspicion. Some Cherokee and other natives believed that writing was either sorcery or witchcraft. If viewed at all favorably, it was considered a special gift or as a mere trick. Sequoia accepted none of this. He said he could invent a way for Cherokees to talk on paper, even though his friends and family thought the idea was strange and pointless. But when he volunteered in the War of 1812, he became even more convinced of the necessity of literacy for his people. He and other Cherokee fighters were unable to write letters home or record events as they occurred. And there must have been so many stories. To imagine the violence he experienced and witnessed, this was a difficult time. The Cherokee joined the American settlers to fight the Creek Red Sticks. The Red Sticks led a resistance movement against European-American encroachment and assimilation. To complicate matters even more, the Creek Red Sticks were in their own civil war with the Creek of the Lower Towns, who were closer with American settlers. Other tribes, like the Choctaw and Chickasaw, also joined the Americans. I did some more research about this time and tension to understand why Sequoia and his fellow Cherokee as well as other tribes, enlisted on the side of the United States under General Andrew Jackson to fight the British troops in the War of 1812. I learned about what were called, quote, the five civilized tribes, a term which came into use during the mid-19th century to refer to the Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, and Seminole nations. These five southeastern nations were referred to as civilized because they appeared to be assimilating to Anglo-American norms, adopting European horticulture and cultural patterns and institutions like centralized governments and economic markets. Many even began to accept Christianity and participated in slaveholding. None of these aspects characterized all of the nations or all of the citizens belonging to those nations. Indeed, these tribes had various cultural, political, and economic practices. But why did they disavow their ancestral ways? Sadly, they likely believed it would protect them if they were compliant with the increasing power and enforcement of the white man. But it didn't matter. They too would eventually be forced, just as the wild Indians who resisted assimilation and be moved from their lands in the infamous removal during the 1820s and 1830s. Before and leading up to this mass removal, Sequoia recognized the importance of written language. He believed one of white man's many advantages was this ability. It allowed them to expand their knowledge and communicate better. By imagining a Cherokee writing system, he had hopes of unifying the Cherokee nation and making them more independent. So, over many years, 12 to be precise, he explored methods of creating a Cherokee syllabary, a set of written symbols that represent the syllables which make up words. 
His first approach was to use a pictograph or logographic system, where every word in the language had a character or symbol similar to Chinese characters. But he realized this was impractical. It would require too many pictures to be remembered, and he didn't quit. He likely took many different approaches. Apparently, his wife even burned some of these attempts. But he would finally develop the syllabary we know today, a symbol for each syllable in the language. Using the Bible as a reference along with adaptations from English, Greek, and Hebrew letters, in 1821 he created 86 symbols, later to be 85 symbols, that depicted the syllables of the Cherokee language. It's easy to confuse the concept of a syllabary to an alphabet. I know I did. But it's actually a chart or guide to represent each symbol that stands for a consonant vowel sequence or a syllable. In Sequoia's syllabary system, symbols are written in a chart layout, with the columns being each vowel and the rows being each consonant. But we won't get muddled into the semantics here. I'm attempting to learn it as a Cherokee Nation citizen myself, and I know it'll take me the rest of my life because I don't even know the language. So by 1821, now moved from Alabama to Arkansas, he completed the syllabary. He was ready to present it to the reluctant tribe. Sequoia's six-year-old daughter, Ayoka, helped him in his presentation by being the first person to learn from it. She learned quickly, too. And together, they were able to demonstrate it to the community. Word spread rapidly of Sequoia's invention. Within months, thousands of Cherokee became literate. It was only necessary to learn the characters to be able to read Cherokee. And by 1823, the Cherokee National Council made public acknowledgement of his invention and sent him a silver medal with a commemorative inscription in Cherokee and English. By 1825, the Cherokee Nation officially adopted the writing system becoming one of the first indigenous groups to have a functional written language. Eastern Cherokees wrote letters to Western Cherokees and made plans to establish a national press and library. In 1828, the Cherokee Phoenix, religious pamphlets, educational materials, and legal documents were all made using the syllabary. Historically, the Cherokee Phoenix, Remember, I said I'd mention this again when we were talking about the speculations around Sequoia's mysterious father? Was the first bilingual newspaper in North America because it had both English and Cherokee languages. And it's still in print today. The syllabary helped preserve the tribe's history, culture, and spiritual practices. By 1830, 90% of Cherokee were literate in their own language. Over time, naturally, tribes began to form their own dialects depending on what region they lived in. Also during this time, in 1829, he and other tribal leaders reluctantly signed a treaty that exchanged the Cherokee land in Arkansas for Indian territory in Oklahoma. He was one of the old settler delegates that went to Washington, D.C. to sign the treaty, which pushed, at that time, 2,500 other Cherokees into the Indian territory. The Trail of Tears, the ethnic cleansing and forced displacement of approximately 60,000 people began and would ensue for nearly 20 years. For example, following them in 1838, the Cherokees from the Southeast were relocated to Indian Territory too, under Chief John Ross. 
Ross, too, had tried repeatedly to stop white political powers from forcing the tribe to move. Chief Ross, part Cherokee, part Scottish, would become the principal chief of the Cherokee Nation for a long period of time. He and Sequoia wanted to bring together the old settlers to sign a new Cherokee Constitution in 1839. Soon after signing the new Cherokee Constitution, in the spring of 1842, Sequoia, his son Tessie, a Cherokee man named Worm, and six others traveled to Mexico in search of other Cherokees who migrated there after being forcibly removed from their native lands. Sequoia, of course, was hoping to spread his teachings of the syllabary, but he also wanted to convince the migrated Cherokees to return and relocate to Indian Territory to be together again. Eventually, all of the party except Sequoia, his son, and the worm returned to the Cherokee Nation. The three continued the difficult journey and reached the river near a Cherokee settlement in Mexico. It was there where Sequoia died in 1843, likely due to a respiratory infection. The exact location of his grave is unknown. His creation of the syllabary allowed the Cherokee Nation to be one of the first North American indigenous groups to have a written language and it also had significant international influence. The dissemination of the syllabary in the last 200 years is believed to have inspired the development of 21 known writing systems that are used in a total of 65 languages in North America, Africa, and Asia today. I don't know about you, but I always wondered about the trees, the great sequoia trees of California, because I knew about these before I ever learned about this incredible man. According to a descendant, by the name of Sequoia Guess, named after his great ancestor and alive today, he had this to say about Sequoia's name, quote, He was born with the name Jisquaya, which means there's a bird inside. Of course, when he was working on the syllabary, he neglected the farm, his pigs, crops, and everything else, and so the neighbors and his wife all got fed up with it. They told him, if you don't straighten up, we're going to change your name to Sequoia which means there's a pig inside. He said, yeah, I'll take this name and I'm gonna make it famous. And he did, end quote. People, including his own, really thought he was crazy. Hence the quote in our introduction. They did not cause me to begin and they shall not cause me to stop. He didn't care what other people thought. The genus of the coast redwood, Sequoia simperverens, is named after Sequoia. The Sequoia trees in California were named Sequoia gigantea in 1847 by an Austrian biologist, Stefan Endlager. Endlager, also a published linguist, was apparently familiar with Sequoia's work. Another little-known piece you can also check out is a song Johnny Cash sang about Sequoia in his 1964 song, The Talking Leaves. And that's it. What little we know of Sequoia, but how wonderful it is to know now more than we did before. Do you enjoy what you get to learn through Beautiful Gray Sponge? I hope so. Please consider donating or purchasing from our online store now at beautifulgraysponge.com. Your contribution supports the effort it takes to research, write, record, and produce each episode, a labor of love. You can learn more about the podcast, listen, and connect by visiting beautifulgraysponge.com. In the meantime, thank you for liking and sharing this podcast. And 
वादर थैंक यू फॉर लिसनिंग